Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Being church, and uh, we've had the pleasure of hearing from Cameron about who we are and why we do what we do as a church, from Jimmy about um, you know, the, the business of family and the, the importance uh, of family uh, in, in the church. And my goal today is to answer this question as, as Christ followers, what should our default mode of life be? What should our lives look like if we are following Christ like we're supposed to? And we certainly could say love, and we would be accurate. You can make a biblical case that, that love is what uh, the Christ-like life should look like. And I completely agree that if I can define love. If I can define love as active and self-giving activities. And Eugene Peterson, the great author and blogger and uh, speaker... Uh, he defines uh, biblical love as rugged commitment. I love that definition, this, this idea that when we come together, when we make a commitment to one another, when God makes a commitment to us, he is in it for the long haul. Whether it's good or bad, whether we go this way or that, God is committed to us. And so this is what our life should look like. We should be ruggedly committed to one another. We should be ruggedly committed to the body of Christ and our community and ruggedly committed to God. And that often looks like service. Love, biblically, is always active. It's always doing something. It's not just this a mental ascent to something, but it is, it is active. And, and so we want to follow Christ. We want to do that. But the problem is that we don't want to serve. We actually just would like to be served. I don't know about you guys, when I get up in the morning and my feet hit the floor, my first thought is not, man, how can I serve Amber and the kids this morning? Usually my first thought is like, I hope Amber's made my coffee. (laughs) And often she has. Maybe she's a real, she should be preaching this. She's a real servant. Uh, But, you know, I'm thinking about my coffee. I'm thinking about my schedule. I'm thinking about what I have to do today. And, And that is my focus. And there's just something in our fallen, broken nature that is more concerned with ourselves than we are concerned for other people. We want to meet our needs. And, and, and certainly, we could push back against that and go, hey, I could give you a list of the good, selfless things that I do. And that is absolutely true and is absolutely good. But I think, and what we're going to see in Paul's letter to the Philippians is that even as we are faithful, even as we are serving, there are these lingering spots in our heart and in our mind where we are more concerned about ourselves than we are about others. And this is not at all supposed to be a condemning message, but just a a message that we need to keep hearing to remind us that we have been called to follow Christ in a life of service. And this idea that we're talking about, the the value of serving and loving people, is not something new. It's not a new problem. Wise people have been talking about the need to give back forever. And so we're just going to look at a couple. Can you, hey, Ruben, can you change the 
slides to this input. It is? Oh, it's just not back there. Thanks, friends. Everything's fine. So this, according to the Googler, it... Man. There it is. Okay. According to Google, this is an ancient Chinese proverb. I don't know if that's true or not, but Google has never led me astray before, so I'm just going with it. Um, It says, if you want happiness for an hour, take a nap. Seems Seems good. Amen. I will take a nap later this afternoon. If you want happiness for a day, go fishing. Amen. If you want happiness for a year, inherit a fortune. That may be true. I'm not sure. Uh, I imagine it is. If you want happiness for a lifetime, help somebody. Love that. Francis of Assisi, uh, first uh, early century church father, we call him, uh, says this: "For it is in giving that we receive. It is in giving that we receive." Leo Tolstoy. The sole meaning of life is to serve humanity. Winston, we make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. This is Muhammad Yunus. He is a Nobel Prize recipient, and he said, making money is a happiness. Making other people happy is a super happiness. I love that. I don't know if super happiness is a word, but I just think that's so, it's so good. And then the, the great Goldie Hawn says, giving back is as good for you as it is for those you are helping because giving gives you purpose. When you have a purpose-driven life, you're a happier person. Thanks, Goldie. We appreciate your wisdom. So, so we can see that over, over the centuries, over the years, people have talked about the importance of, of giving back. And we see this and we recognize this. We even aspire to this. We want to live like this. And we definitely want other people to live like this when it comes to us, right? We want other people to do it. But so often we ourselves fall short of it. And so that's what we want to to look at today, to look at this idea that Jesus calls his followers to die to themselves, to to follow him on the the path of humble service. But the, the problem is that it's good that we can recognize that there might be a shortcoming in us, and we can see this in our lives, and we can super see it in our spouses, and we can see it in uh, our communities where this might lack sometimes. But recognizing it isn't enough. Because the, there is a, a significant problem that we're going to see that keeps us from actually doing what we want to do. Okay? So the problem is that we don't want to serve, we want to be served. And we're going to look at the the book of Philippians, where Paul is writing a letter to a church in Philippi. And this is actually an amazing letter. Uh, Some people call it the letter of joy. He's so excited about the Philippians because Paul is in prison. And the Philippian church is the one church, he says, that remembered him in his time of need and sent him an offering. And so it's it's a joyful Uh, encouraging letter to the church of the Philippians. They have given back selflessly. And yet throughout this letter, we see this theme that Paul continues to come back to that says, don't serve yourself. 
Make sure that you're continuing to give out. Life isn't all about you. And so we're going to read from chapter 2 of Philippians. Paul says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. And so even as Paul writes this letter to a church that is in some ways selfless, He reminds them and calls them not to live in these selfish ambitions, this vain conceit, not to live in grumbling and arguing. And and the reason that he gives is that it's because we have been brought into a new kingdom. We have been set free, he says. If we look at the the letter of Colossians chapter 1, 13 and 14, let me just read that real quick. says, For he, Jesus has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So we were lost and dead in our sins and our transgressions. We were stuck in the dominion of darkness. But Jesus, in His grace and His love, transported us into this brand new kingdom. In this kingdom, we have been redeemed. We have forgiveness. We are back in right relationship with the Father. And in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. Right? So not only are we brought from uh, the old kingdom into a new kingdom, our old self has been stripped away and we have been made new. No longer subject to sin and death. We have freedom in this new community, in this new kingdom. And when we live in the new kingdom, we're actually living in, with new rules, right? New expectations, yeah. right? New thought processes. That's good. When Amber and I got married, we lived in Kalamazoo, and we pay, paid taxes to the city of Kalamazoo. But when we moved to Portage, we changed. We no longer paid taxes to Kalamazoo. Now we pay taxes to Portage. Thank you, Portage. And... We, and what else? Now we, uh, we, we smile and wave at people as we drive through our neighborhood. It's expected. That's what you do in Portage. And so that's what we do. In Kalamazoo, they don't care about that. In Portage, that is valuable. Um, when I got a new job, I used to work at um, Fox Brothers and I would deliver siding and roofing and windows. And I would go there Monday through Friday and every other Saturday. And I would come and I would show up at my desk and do my job. But then I quit Fox Brothers and started working at at New Day. And no longer did I show up for work at Fox Brothers, right? My my life changed. um, The things that I valued or the things that I was doing changed because I was in a new workplace, okay? And so the, the idea is that we have to remember that we are in a new kingdom and so we don't live by the rules of the old kingdom. The, the old kingdom was all about division and brokenness and fallenness and death. 
And Paul is very, very clear here in the letter to the Philippians, as well as throughout his writings in the New Testament, that the kingdom is about unity. It's about coming together to love one another. And so Paul in Colossians shows the the kind of things that were part of the old kingdom. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, malice, slander, lying. Everything on this list, and this is not the the full list of old nature things. Uh, This is just some of the things that were part of the old nature. But they all bring division. They, They all are relational. Right? And we are called to move away from those things because we're not part of that anymore. We are called not to bring division, but to bring unity. The new kingdom is all about unity. And so my paraphrase, this is Philippians 2, 1 through 4 again, but this is kind of my paraphrase. If you are united with Christ... Okay, it's about unity. If you find comfort in his love, if the Spirit has created a fellowship, if the Spirit has created a fellowship, then think like I do. Think unity through humility. Think unity through service. Right? And, and what were the, the natural tendencies that Paul is coming against in the people of Philippi? Selfish ambition, vain conceit. Right? Valuing themselves first and foremost, putting their interests before others. They're grumbling and arguing. They're supposed to be living in the new community, in this new kingdom, and yet they're still acting like they're citizens of the old kingdom. And so it's important that we, we recognize this, not just in the Philippians and kind of shake our heads at them and go, what were they thinking? But we can also recognize that this is us. Yeah. Like we have these same issues. But there's kind of a bigger problem than just recognizing these issues in our lives. The bigger problem is that when we recognize them and they see we can't do anything about it. We value serving others. We think it's important. We write great quotes about it. We, we, there's a zillion books on Amazon that you could read that talk about the, the value and the importance of, of serving others. And we're like, oh, we should do that and I'm going to do that. And yet something in our hearts pulls us back into that old way of living and going, but what about me? Somebody's got to serve me. We just can't do it. In the Old Testament, we see this replayed over and over and over again. God gives his his law to the, the people and says, this is how I expect you to live. Just do these things and I'm going to bless you. And what happens? Over and over again, they fail. They mess up. They repent. They're forgiven. They try again for a couple days and then they fail and over and over. If you read through just the the book of Judges, it's like 400 years of this cycle of like, we're going to do it, we're going to serve God and then we're just abject failures and we need somebody to come and save us and God forgives them over and over again for 400 years. So I could end there, but it would be a real downer. (laughs) So we should press on, right? So there's nothing in us. We cannot do this on our own. We cannot serve. We cannot follow Jesus on our own. But God has made a way. He has 
brought a solution to us, broken humanity, that, that answers or that solves this problem of our inability to do what we're called to do. And we see that solution is Jesus Christ. He has shown a new and better way. And He has empowered us to follow His example. And so Paul uses this beautiful hymn, this beautiful poem that we are going to read here in Philippians chapter 2. And this is a, a poem about the humiliation and the exaltation of Christ. And he uses this to show the Philippians and to show us how we should pursue relationships in this new community, in this new kingdom. So, Philippians 2, starting in verse 5. He says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And so this hymn shows us how Jesus led the way and how he pictured for us how we should live. And if we compare this uh, verse here uh, to verse 3, it compares and it contrasts our human nature to how Christ showed us to live. In 6 and 7, it says that Jesus, though he was God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself Nothing. Becoming a servant. And what is the thing that Paul is coming against? Stop being selfish. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility value others above yourselves. Look to their interests. Do what Jesus has done for you. And so Jesus not only shows us the way to live, but praise God, he actually empowers us to do it. Right? As we move into Christ, he fills us with the Holy Spirit and the, the grace of Jesus, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit actually enables us to live out this new way of the kingdom. In Christ, we've been set free from sin and death. We can kind of step our feet back into this old nature and live out of it, but it's gross and broken. We, and we're, but we're not stuck there. We have been free, set free to come and live in the new kingdom. And I 100% believe that when we stick our foot back into the old kingdom and we, we live out those old kingdom activities like sexual immorality and impurity and, and lying and, and greed, we're actually funneling kingdom of death and division into our lives, into our families, into our communities, and into our world. And it's gross and and broken. And so often we think, well, this isn't affecting anybody else. It's just me. I'll repent and everything's going to be fine. We're sending out, if we could see in the spirit, right, the, the grossness of what we are bringing into the world. And that is nothing 
kingdom about that. We should not be living that way. We've been set free. And I truly believe on the other side of that, when we live out of kingdom principles, when we love and we, and we serve and we, we lay our lives down just like Jesus did, then we are actually funneling life and power and kingdom and joy into our world, into our lives, into our families, into our communities and into our world. Because these, these lists of, of kingdom attributes, they can't be done by yourself. Somebody that is stranded on a desert island might think they're full of the fruit of the Spirit. Well, they're probably not. There's just nobody there. You can't tell, right? Because it's all about kingdom. It's all about community. It's all about living in unity with one another. And I think that's why we aren't called to, to you know, when we come to Christ, we're not, we don't leave the community. We don't go off by ourselves, though there are some monks and things that are called to that, but mostly, right, we're called to community. We're called to be, to do life with one another. We see Paul and, and James and all these guys over and over again say, love one another and forgive one another and bear with one another. Why does he say that? Because life and community can be hard. Because people are annoying sometimes. Not you people, but other people I've met. The, and people can, can be, it can be difficult and we have to forgive them and we have to bear with them and we have to love them. That's what community looks like. And in that process, God renews and transforms us and transforms our community. And so even in our brokenness, Jesus leads us and empowers us to follow him. And I think that this uh, you know, understanding this reality of the kingdom will transform your entire life. When, when Amber and I were married, we were younger, roughly 21 years younger than we are right now, and I was a bit selfish. Way back, I was a bit selfish. And way back, Amber was a bit selfish. And so you get these two young people together that both live individual selfish lives, and now they're living in the same house and trying to live that same way, right? Some conflict occurs. <laughs> we've done, we've done with conflict now. Um, but we had to learn this message. And not like Cameron or Pastor Ken or any of the other pastors that I grew up with would teach this exact message, but it was the story of Jesus laying down your life. Uh, treating other people as more valuable than yourself. You hear that over and over again. And little by little, maybe you just, well, I'm going to try that because selfishness isn't working very good. Let me, try, sir, let me try taking out the garbage before she asks me to. Maybe that'll help. And lo and behold, as we learn to lay down our lives for one another, as we serve one another and value the other as more important than ourselves, then the relationship begins to grow. And to flourish. And and the the reality is this is true in every relationship, in our friendships, as we lay our lives down for our friends, that relationship flourishes. In in our work relationships, when we counterculturally lay our lives down for the good of somebody else, our work relationships flourish. And when we do that in our community, our community relationships flourish. And as those flourish, the kingdom of God is funneled in to our spheres of influence. I don't know if you guys have heard of the Nextdoor app. There's this phone app and for, for neighborhoods that you can sign. I don't know how it works. You sign an app. It's a, there's a, it's a, it's a phone. I mean, you're probably used to the cord. 
Luke. But uh, there's these new cellular telephones, and they have apps on them. Luke, you just don't just no more heckling. Uh, uh, next door app. What am I talking about? Okay, there's a next door app, and you look at it in the in the neighborhood talks to each other and says, "Hey, I need a plumber or something," or there's a strange van driving around or, or whatever. And the other day, there's this message pops up on, on next door, and this lady is like, hey, you know what, my neighbor is complaining because this tree blew down in, in a storm, um, and, I, and it's been a week or something. I haven't cleaned it up, cleaned it up yet, and she's like, I'm really sorry, but I actually have stage four cancer, and I've been going through these treatments, and, and is, can anybody uh, give me some recommendations on who I could call to get this taken care of? And within, you know, a couple hours, there's this group of neighbors that's like, we'll be there, we'll take care of that tomorrow. Wow, that's awesome. It was amazing. Right? And, and, like, that is kingdom thinking. Yeah. Right? I guarantee all of them had plans for Saturday morning. Right? Like, whatever that is, maybe they're going to the farmer's market, maybe they're going to mow their lawn, maybe they're going to go to the beach with their family, who knows? But they laid those things down to serve their neighbor. Yeah. And the relationship flourishes. And so in the kingdom, what looks like defeat, what looks like failure, which what looks like weakness is actually the avenue of God's abundant life and flourishing relationships. We can see this in verses 9 and 11 of Philippians 2. I don't know if I did that. Let's go. Where did that go? 9 through 11, therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name. Right? We see the exaltation of Jesus. Why? Because he was willing to humble himself and give himself up even to death. And that's what victory looks like in the kingdom. And if we want to see this same abundant life in ourselves, in our families, in our church, in our community, we are only going to achieve it when we follow Christ in humility, and in service. And I think it's important that we note that this, if we're going to do this like Jesus did it, it's not just laying our lives down and serving people who are on his side, who are loving him. But he actually laid his life down and served the people that are cursing him, who hate him, and are trying to kill him. And we have to learn how to love those people and to serve those people and allow the power of God to transform those relationships. Okay. So we're going to conclude with, with Paul's kind of next two verses here. Therefore, my dear friends, Paul says, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And so he's saying, this is Jesus' example. When Jesus did this, he was glorified and exalted. Now do it. Do the work. Follow his example. We've already discussed that, oh man, bummer, we can't do it. But don't worry, Paul's not forgotten. He continues in verse 13 and says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. 
And so it is God who empowers us and fills us. We need to take the steps, right? But as we step, he empowers and fills so we can work out our salvation. So what does this look like for us today practically? To work out our salvation, I think, means that in every situation, we meet it in such a way that it reveals the new life that God has given us and the new kingdom he has brought us into. Every situation, when we want to be selfish and serve ourselves, wait, how do I do what Jesus did? WWJD. You guys remember those bracelets? We still have those? Uh, you know, in every situation, how can I reflect Jesus? How can I reflect my new nature? How can I reflect this new kingdom that I'm part of? And as we do that, God will fill us and empower us. The reality is we can only work out our salvation because of what Christ has done for us. So, in conclusion, how do we put this practically into practice in our lives? And so I want to end by just inviting us to take a moment to, to close our eyes right, and to, to invite the, the Holy Spirit to come and to speak to us. And if we are in this new kingdom and we're supposed to meet every situation from this new perspective, let's ask the Holy Spirit to show us how do we imitate Christ's humility and his service at school? How do we imitate Christ's uh, humility and service in our homes? With our kids. When my kids were little, <laughs> they would ask me to watch these YouTubers that, that they were really, they were, oh, watch this hilarious YouTube video, Dad. And you'd sit down there like explaining it to you. And like, that feels like death. That's <laughs> just like, yeah, honey, that's really, that's really interesting. <laughs> Don't worry, they won't listen to this recording. They'll be fine. Uh, and it's just like, but like as a parent, right, you, you do that. You are interested in the things your kids are interested in because you love them. And you lay your life down for them. Right? So maybe it looks like that. How can you imitate Christ in your marriage? How can you imitate Christ in the church? What does service look like being part of a church? We don't want to just be spectators. We don't want to just be in the crowd, but we want to be part of the congregation and and serve and lay our lives down just like Christ laid his life down for us? What does it look like to imitate Christ in our neighborhood? In our community, we were asked by the the village to host a softball game and to host some kids' games at the Underground Railroad. All right, is that what service looks like? Okay, we'll do that. How do we imitate Christ in the world? So I just, let's just take a moment and ask the Lord just to highlight one of these areas. Is there a place in one of these areas that you could improve this week? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you that you would send your son Jesus to, to die on the cross, to take on the, the shame and, and the pain that we deserved so that we could be redeemed, we could be forgiven, we could be restored back into your family.
And Lord, we want to imitate Christ in every situation that we meet. So Holy Spirit, we ask you right now, would you show us some part of our life that might not be living up to this call? And Lord, as we recognize some area, we throw ourselves before you and ask that you would help us, that you would strengthen us, that you would empower us to do this, to imitate you more closely in this area, this week, today. Lord, transform us more and more into your image. We give you all the glory. In your name we pray. Amen.